This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, I've got one of my main guys from Killing Commercial, Mr. Aaron Levine from Luxury Insurance Group in New Jersey. I know. we Luxury Group Insurance, Luxury <laughs> Group Insurance Agency. I just think you need to call it Luxury Group, period. And then you can spoke off to whatever brand of luxury group you want it to be. It might That's be right. insurance. It might be real estate. It might be, you know... Um, funding. That's what I'm doing. I mean, everything I do is pretty much connected. So, what's going on, man? You know, just uh, just just living living the dream, the luxury group dream, and uh, trying to keep building a business. Right? That's what we do. Summer's here, loving the Oof. weather, and uh, just you know, keeping keeping the grind going. So, what's your deal, man? Like, how'd you get into? How'd you get to where you're at right now? Like, luxury group came from somewhere but i mean did you start scratch or did you work for another agency and then decide you were going to go open an independent what's that what's the history look like so the the 2007 iteration (laughs) while i was in graduate school and incorporated because i didn't know what i wanted to do when i grow up and i'll say i still don't know what i want to do when i grow up right i always want to stay curious and figure out what's next and continue to grow. But yeah, the 2007 iteration was A. Levine Financial Services, LLC, which is still the entity by which we we operate under. We just have a significant amount of DBAs that we operate through. (laughs) Um, We moved into the LG uh, Insurance Agency. There was a G at one point in, uh, in, in the business. Um, I didn't want to drop the G. I also don't want to keep my name in the business. I want the business to be able to stand for itself and not just be, you know, a series of letters and be the only business, right? The Aaron Levine and Associates. You know, it's nobody cares about Aaron Levine and Associates. Let's try to. Be yeah, a I agree, bit man. I'm, I'm not a big than, fan. I mean, I know I probably pissed some people off by saying this, but it, it's fine. It, it's my opinion, and I'm entitled to it. I'm not a big fan of like the the name the family named agency. If if you're going to be in the middle market, if you're Main Street USA, and right. you're going to sell personal lines in your town of twenty thousand people and small commercial, and if you have a couple big commercial accounts in that area, it by all means it's fine. But if you're going to go compete against the big boys, you can't have a small town agency name. You just can't do it. You have to be luxury right. group, period. You have to, you have to be you have the to luxury, be luxury group. group. So we, we kept the LG and we just redefined what the LG stood for. And we went luxury group, LG insurance agency. And that's kind of, you know, we stay away from the LG electronics brand. Although <laughs> if somebody Googles, right, my LG TV is broken, right? They look for the insurance word when they're Googling it. So we'll get phone calls from people. Um, asking, you know, if we insure their televisions and their phones. And, you know, every once in a while we'll play the game and my staff knows that they play the game and we'll go through the process. But we've got a lot of calls for broken televisions in our in our day. That is hilarious. I actually have a competitor that has a very similar name 
that has risk partners after it, but it's a holding company for other agencies, big, big group actually. But I actually rank higher on Google when people Google them than what they do. So right. I end up getting a lot of inbound calls from people who are upset they haven't gotten certificates of insurance or they're <laughs> irritated about a service request and they call us and I'm looking and I'm like, I can pretty, I pretty much have our whole book of business memorized because we just don't have a, we don't have a huge number in terms of policy count of accounts right. because you don't have to, when you're in middle market, you, you tend to be relatively small. And so I, um, I always use that to my advantage. I cannot tell you the number of appointments that I've gotten, the number of, um, quite frankly, agent of record letters I've gotten. Because especially when it's the certificate piece, when people are mad, like I asked for this certificate two days ago. I'm like, are you, you sure you have the right place? And they're like, yeah, I know. I know who my agent is. And I'm saying, well, I said, the reason I'm asking is because we actually have pretty good technology in our agency and clients like yours that are in the construction trades they're able to pull their certificates in real time through eCerts online. So it would be odd that you would have been waiting for somebody to issue a certificate because most of our clients are able to have their certificates in the end user's hands faster they can email or call us to ask us to issue it for that right. reason. So it doesn't sound to me like you're using our system, which means we haven't done a very good job of training you. Let me just look and see what your user ID is, knowing it doesn't even exist, right? And then we just walk them right down the line. And the next thing you know, we're in meeting with them and showing them the tech stack and it's off to the races at that point. That's perfect. I had a client, you know, that we've runs a marketing agency and I say marketing because that's a generic term, but they build stunts and they do all sorts of wacky things throughout the country. And they just signed a deal with uh, a national manufacturer to purvey at supermarkets around the country. So they need a hundred certificates of insurance. And, you know, when we're able to automate that, everybody's happy. I don't want to sit here and pay one of my remote employees to, to create a hundred certificates. If we can automate that, it makes life so much better, especially it's a small policy, believe it or not, not, but you know, when it's automated, the customer's happier too. We got to make it easy for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a fine balance because I'm old school, man. So for me, adopting technology to to take the place of human interaction has always been something that I've struggled with mentally, not from a business decision standpoint, but just from a mental standpoint, because I come from the grocery industry. I'm used to having people, I'm begging people to put a hundred bucks worth of groceries into a cart so we can make a dollar right? At 1% net profit. So when we started going down the road of technology with video proposals and self-service certificates and everything like that, I had to get out of my own way for it because I'm of the mindset, no, I want to give white glove, personal service, be there when they need me, no matter what it is, blah, 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 blah. That's what I wanted to deliver. And what I found out was my clients actually would really like to be able to just pull their certificates whenever they want. Right. They really want to be able to get that stuff in real time. And so as quick as I was able to just get through the mental block of you're actually providing good customer service in 2020, which is probably about when this was happening, 2019, 2020, as long as you're providing great client service by those standards, then you're home free. Quit worrying about what you did 20 years ago when you were in retail running grocery. It's not even the same industry, but... You know, I think that's a big mistake that a lot of agencies make in their thought process is that we get so caught up in technology that we feel like that it's it's taking away from the, the human interaction and the client experience when, in fact, if you take the time and really make sure you're not spreading yourself thin and you're only investing in that tech that makes sense, then you're enhancing the client experience. You're actually making your client experience so much better. It frees my staff up to be able to do heavy lifting and deal with the things that really matter or are really important that require a human. Um, and so now that I'm of that mindset, life is so much easier. It also makes it really easy for me to identify those technologies that we want to invest in and bring into the agencies the agency and, and the ones we don't, right? Because there are some things out there that are really good tech products. They're just not for my agency. Because mm -hmm. they're not designed to solve a problem that I have. So 
Talk a little bit about is you guys, I mean, because look, I know you write high net worth stuff and I know you've got some really nice middle market accounts that you're you're writing just because, you know, we've talked through your involvement in Killing Commercial, but I'm interested is, is you've built the agency out and you've put that service platform together. What's your tech stack look like, man? What I mean, what, what, what do you have in place right now that you would say has made a difference in the way you guys are doing business? You know, there's a few things that in the tech stack, you know, and our tech stack needs a little bit of work um, with respect to some of the automations and some of the, the, the instant gratification pieces of it. But as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, the, a good tech stack is the white glove that, that we're providing. Uh, I had a call this morning with uh, John Johnson from Mineral, and we're, I actually had him as a guest. I interviewed him for my podcast and my and insurance podcast. Uh, you know, on how we're bringing better service to our clients, right? How are we adding that value and using technology as one of those value adds and using their platform, which is also human-based, right? They have a good platform, which we love, um, and we love to share and give out to to our clients and, and some prospects and and friends and family, whoever might whoever might need to, to, to use it and get into the ThinkHR platform. But it's you know, they have 90 people behind the scenes able to answer questions when shit hits the fan, right? When you call that 1-800-OH-SHIT hotline, you need yeah. somebody on the spot to be able to answer you. And you're not going hey, to the resource sometimes center. I'm calling for, yeah, sometimes I'm calling for myself, man, you know, because I need to know <laughs> the answer. Right. You know, so it's, 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 it's one of those things that there's still the human interaction is super important, right? So we use the Think HR platform for, for a lot of our clients. Um, we just got into, we just signed on with Wonderwrite a couple of weeks ago recently to enhance our ability to provide a better experience when it comes to getting these supplemental applications and some of our applications completed. You know, we just had a real estate office. We were waiting three months to get the renewal application in and the renewals tomorrow. We got the application back on, on Friday, right? So this was pre Wonderwrite, you know. We forget about it. It goes missing. It's still in suspense. We don't want to keep following up. Using tech to help us better along, get that along is is making the process so much easier, especially for for new clients. So we're liking the Wonderwrite to help with the application process. And then our favorite recently has been the Loss Runs Pros. Right? Yeah, using that technology has been has been that's the best thing we've signed up for in, in 2022. I'll tell you that that LRP man is is awesome and it's great for our client experience because hey just sign here and we're going to help you get your loss runs that you need to get for us and if there's an issue we'll be in touch and the team at LRP is going to help help along along the way that's been invaluable so far this year um i think we've used it you know two dozen times and we've also used it not just for new for prospecting business for our own business we're using it to start putting loss runs into a calendar of when we need to get them for our renewal process, let the technology help us along to to make things better. So my staff has been loving loving that piece of the puzzle. I'll tell you what, man. The other thing, I, and I just thought about this while you were sort of talking about what you were doing with Loss Runs Pro, but another thing that agencies could be doing, should be doing, including ours, um, you know, for that matter, is if there's a way to um, automate that, whether it just be an automated task reminder or if a way to use Zapier to force it to do it, but quarterly, just every quarter, order the loss runs and have them sent out so you can do you do your claims reviews and everything, right? right. And it, that way that, that information's already automatically there or whatever that cadence needs to be. I would be interested in talking to Brendan at Loss Runs Pro to find out if anybody that he knows is actually using it for that purpose right now. I certainly couldn't be the only person who's ever thought of that and definitely didn't do it on the fly. Um, so I think that would be really interesting. I think the other thing is with your real estate account, you know, one of the nice parts about technology is it becomes a scapegoat for me too. So I can actually know that these people have been sitting on an application. And so maybe I risk the annoying, the, the annoyance factor of reaching out one more time I can just say, oh, I'm so sorry. That's an automation that's built into the technology. The system sent the email. I didn't mean to do that. But I mean, you know, truthfully, those are th all three of those tools are, are really good tools and are things that we use at Florida Risk Partners. You know, 
the thing with mineral specifically and mineral, not so much um, as, as much as what KPA is like for us, because we use both, both companies know we use both because they serve two completely different purposes in our agency. But man, we have to be able to make sure that these people implement this stuff like mineral works if you're actually implementing mineral and they do a good right. job of onboarding clients and helping. But I mean, one of the things that I've, that I've, I've invested in and it's worked really, really well is having somebody that does nothing but make sure that these people are using the technology the way they're supposed to use it. They're actually logging in. You know, we have people that even to this day, we've provided them with user IDs to e-certs online maybe a dozen times and they quote unquote can't get it to work, but yet we have the log record showing that they've been in there and, and doing this stuff. And I think sometimes it's just some of the older school companies are more resistant to change. We don't bend. I can't, I can't run. I can't run my shop, you know, around how my clients are going to dictate. They've always done business. I'm not, and I want to clarify that comment. I'm going to do everything I can to make my clients happy, right? But I can't just automatically have 15 different sets of rules depending on who it's going to be. We do a really good job, I feel, of educating our clients on the front end of what it's like to do business with us. Another thing I've been talking about a lot lately that I think agencies need to be thinking about in real time is we need to educate our clients and prospects on how to do business with us. Like very few agencies out there actually have a bona fide drip campaign that teaches people that are new when their effective date hits that sends a thing out saying, Hey, welcome to the family. Here's what you can expect. If you need to do this, this, or this, this is exactly what you do and have the video go from that person. Then a couple of days later, here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. And at least set their expectations because if we don't set people's expectations, you're just going to expect what they've always had. Sure. And, what they've always had is probably not good enough. In my opinion, it's just not the way we do business. So I feel like we're so caught up in wanting to please everybody that it's okay. It's okay to push back a little bit and say, look, I understand that's what you've always done, but this is how we do it here. And this is why we do it this way. And I can assure you, it might feel a little weird right now, but in the long run, it's going to get a whole lot better for you. I mean, that's, you know, that takes me to one of my favorite questions that I ask prospects that I learned from, from you and, you know, and, everybody in killing commercial reiterates is is asking that process how's your buying process right asking a prospect how their buying process goes and what they think of it and then flipping the script and and changing that process for them with them i think is is super important and you know i'm in the process of interviewing that additional staff member to help with onboarding to help create some of those drip campaigns and firm up our tech stack and make everything tighter and, and, and work better together. That's my next investment into the agency is that person, that human that's going to work full time and handle that. Plus also, you know, try to do other things to en enhance our inbound opportunities at the same time. I think the thing is people look at that and they're like, how am I ever going to get my money back for that? You know, why would I, that's like, it's a sink, like it's a hole. They're just account. throwing their money in. Well, I mean, even then think about that one account, new business. Yes. But what about retention? You know, you're not, you, if you teach people how to do business with you the right way and you bring the right people in, your retention's going to go up. And we already know what that looks like in terms of how it impacts the overall value of an agency. But it's not even just the retention piece. It's, it's, it's other stuff that, that fall in line besides new business and retention. What about the profitability of the accounts? What about mm -hmm. contingency commissions? What about if you have a policy for like we, one of the technologies that we brought in um, recently, very, very recently is Zenjuries. And it's a guy that I've had on the podcast a couple of times, Jess Dantis, but they basically take all claims, all workers' compensation claims management off of our plate and put it in the hands of claims professionals through a mobile app that's unified where everybody is communicating in the same sandbox. I'm getting push notifications of updates and everything else. My client's taking pictures of of, of what happened. They're filling, they're filing the claim. Like it, it's just insane, but you're seeing loss ratios drop substantially 
And I mean, think about this, man. I mean, if you were to get just 10% better on, or it could obviously be much higher than that, but even just, even just 10% better on the, the amount of contingency commission you get in a mature agency, that alone probably picks up somebody's salary with no problem. That doesn't count right. more new business opportunities, better retention. And it's just, it's crazy to think that way, but, um, Having those people in-house as advocates that you're using to champion your technology, implement it with your clients is huge. And people listening to this, do not underestimate the value of that person at the point of sale. Because you can go in and take that person into prospect meetings. We have, I shared it um, after one of the calls that we had in Killing Commercial, but um a discovery form checklist that we use that talks about like it's essentially nothing but a bunch of wedge questions, but we have the answers for them. And it has to do with how we're building the employee handbook. You know, question of, do you have an employee handbook? Great. When's the last time you updated it? Good. Uh, do you have a way to track changes as they happen legislatively? Do you have a, talk to me about your training program. Is your training program set up to where it's administered online and captured and documented so that the record is complete? But I mean, you, you know, the talking points because you, you've been down this road before and you've won accounts using it, but you know, at the end of the day, man, if you just have the discovery form for what it takes for implementing an age, uh, a new client into your technology, that alone is a massive wedge that you can use to write new business. So what do you, what do you guys, you know, specialize in at this point? I mean, I know, you know, high, obviously luxury group comes with a certain expectation of, of what your average client looks like, but talk a little bit about the mix in the agency and, and the kind of accounts you go after. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're a 50, 50 personal commercial. Um, we live in a very affluent area and we, you know, so we write a lot of high net worth personal lines property. Um, and then we, we write a lot of hospitality accounts, right? So um, I grew up in the restaurant business. Um, my family's in the restaurant business. If you look over my shoulder, it says from hot dogs to insurance. That's one of my first, uh, write-ups in the Asbury park press back in 2000. And I don't know what year that was 2010, something like that. Right. That was my first real press article that, that came out. But my family's in the in the hot dog business, hot dogs and French fries. My kids love it, so do I. Uh, so I grew up <laughs> in the in the restaurant business. Out of college, I worked in in hospitality and back of house for a large corporation. So I know restaurants in and out. And so we like to, you know, we focus on some of the the mid sized chain restaurants. You know, so we have chains doing upwards of of a hundred million dollars in in revenue, including liquor. Um, and then we'll also write the small single restaurant, but really bars, anything with liquor liability, we like to be involved because there's a little, there's enough premium on, on that side. So we love hospitality and coastal property. The lesser's risk on the ocean front is where we, where we like to play. I don't want to write something 10 miles inland because everybody's got the same product for it unless it's big enough. Uh, but when it comes to writing ocean front, that inland, or northern agent has no clue how to insure coastal property correctly. So we niche out a little bit with that, um, especially on the real estate side. You know, we love writing coastal, and coastal is a hard market right now. It is tougher than ever to write coastal property. I think we follow, we New Jersey follows Florida, and there's nothing good coming out of Florida right now with respect to with respect <laughs> to property insurance. No, sir. No, there's not. You know, honestly, it's a whole other podcast. Yeah, no, that's one of the things I was gonna ask is is how bad it is relative to your understanding of how bad it is here, right? Like, <laughs> I don't ever hear it's so bad in Florida. I don't really hear other people in other states complaining about how bad they have it. And if if I did, I'd probably be like, uh, okay, whatever, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, is it is it? that tough where you're at at this point? Cause I mean, we're, we're at a point now in 2022 where literally the first five months of the year, it seems like every single month, another carrier has gone belly up and completely gone out of business, which sucks right. if your personal lines heavy, because a lot of my good friends that have big personal lines books can't make forward progress in writing new business. Cause their entire staff has been dedicated to doing all of the rewrites on the cancellations that have come out due to bankruptcy. Sure. 
We have we have a local guy buying a house or just closed on a house in on the East Coast and in, in the Boca area. And we quoted it through our high value markets here in New Jersey. Every single one of them declined. Same high net worth, high value client carriers that you have down there. We wound up giving this guy a fifty thousand dollar Lloyd's quote with a five percent five percent wind deductible, not just hurricane. It had a five percent wind mm. on it on a five million dollar dwelling. And I, you know, I shrugged my shoulders. Gave him a couple names to call down locally, and uh, you know I don't know where he wound up, but he's like, "How am I supposed to pay for this?" I'm like, "That's not for me to answer, buddy." <laughs> like, you know, I said you could find somebody local, and most of the, you know, that that's a tough property to write at five million dollar dwelling, you know, on a standalone property down in Florida. That that was a tough one. So that same thing here in New Jersey would have a two percent wind deductible on it, and the fifty thousand dollar premium would probably be about you know, $15,000 locally. Mm -hmm. So much more, much more manageable with respect to that for, for, for property, but we're starting to see some 5% wind deductibles on commercial property, which gets tough on some of these bigger. And then, you know, then we're looking into wind buybacks. We have some wind buyback programs that are available through some of the wholesalers, but you know, we just had one that we just sold a $25,000 wind buyback policy just a wind only policy for like a three hundred thousand dollar piece was was over fifteen thousand dollars it's getting unaffordable you know that plus the cost of chicken wings on this for this restaurant is making life life difficult for you know for for family to go out and eat right now dude i thought i was gonna have to go out and get a heloc on my home so that i could buy wings for my kids when we went out to lunch yesterday <laughs> dude i mean i can remember like we were, we used to talk about after beer league softball games we would go to O'Charlie's and they would have 10 cent wings 10 cents and this is not yes this is right. a while ago and we want to live you know we want to live young the rest of our lives but i mean this is early 90s like that that's not horribly old not to i mean you can't i can't believe that wings are over two dollars a piece now right like i used to be able to go get the eight piece at Publix of fried chicken for like 4.99 so i'd rather have that than two wings but it, it's it's crazy what's happening to these companies right now and i mean i hate to say it it's probably still just the beginning I've seen 10% plus wind deductibles down here. Like how wow. here's here's the problem too. Agents, you're going to hate me for saying this. Oh well. You don't know how to read wind deductibles. You don't even know what you're selling. A lot of people have no idea how a wind deductible works. Is it by building? Is it by location? Is it by subject of insurance? Is it by total insurable values? How about a statement of values? When's the last time you actually had your client fill one of those out and put it on file with the carrier? What does the policy say about statements of values and how often you should do that? And what happens in the event of a claim if you don't have one on file? I mean, I could go for days on just all of the property stuff. People think, oh, well, David, all he all he knows is workers' comp. <clears throat> Wrong answer. I led with property for like the first five years. Uh, of my career here in Florida. So I understand at a really high level. And that's the thing, man. It's not just that. It's, you know, we went from having wind deductible to hurricane deduct to, to, to named storm deductible to hurricane only. And now most places up until the recent turn of events had some sort of a hybrid. You like, you literally have to read every policy to understand what is, what's going to fall under the wind deductible. What's going to fall under all other perils, or does it have, <laughs> I've seen all other perils, uh, you know, name storm slash hurricane and all other wind on this, on, on the same policies before. This is where we earn our money. It's also where we earn our reputation because there are a lot of people out there that are not taking the time to sharpen the saw, learn how these things work, and educate their clients. But again, that's a common theme, man. You you said it yourself. We we don't we don't do a job. We don't do a good job of educating our prospects. Like especially with when you when with that question about talk to us about how your your buying your buying process what does that look like what does your process for deciding who you're going to hire look like there are a lot of people out there that are in middle market that if they get um signals that somebody's a price shopper they just won't even take the first meeting i'll take it every time i don't care you could tell me i'm a price buyer and you're not going to change my mind i'll still take the meeting with you the first time 
A, because I'm competitive and I think I can change your mind, but B, because I'm will- I want to have that, uh, that at bat. I want to have that opportunity. People don't understand. Like so many people are out there thinking this is the way it has to be done. We have to go to three different agencies who are each going to go to their carriers. Maybe they'll do market selection. Maybe they won't. And I mean, it just goes, it falls right down that line. Whereas I can't tell you, I'm not going to say that it's even over 50%, but I bet you 30% of the time I take that first meeting and it's somebody that I'm not, um, you know, that, that I don't have a relationship with that, you know, they, they just haven't been taught that there are other ways to do this besides just putting it out to bid every year. About 30% of the time, I'm going to, I'm going to convince them that they just need to hire one agency to do it. The problem is we, here's the thing. Almost every agency out there for the most part is very, very selfish in the selling process. It's all about them. It's very rarely about the prospect. It's very difficult. And think about this. What's the first thing we do? We go in with a beautiful colored folder with our information on it and telling, and it's stuffed with a bunch of stuff about our agency that they're probably never going to read. And we're going to talk to them about all of the things that we do and everything. Very, very rarely do we go in and it becomes 100% about them. And that's, that's really where the delineation needs to happen. When we go do marketing drops, we're not doing, we may have one piece of paper in our marketing drops that says anything at all about Florida risk partners. And that's in the event they just get nosy, want to make sure we're legitimate or whatever else. Everything right. else that's in there has something to do with a problem that their business or their industry is facing that they could literally use that's worth something to them if they just take it, read it and use the information. And I think that we go in and we become so ingrained in talking about why we're the right selection that we're not even taking the time to understand the selection process. How do you know? How do you know you're the right selection before you ever walk in? Right? I, there's plenty of times I've told people no. You know, it just doesn't make sense. You're not going to be a great right. fit. Nothing. No. No. I have no nothing bad to say about you, your 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 company, or anything. You've obviously been very successful. I just know how we operate and I know our value proposition and. You seem to be very steadfast in the way you do business, and rather than me try to change that, it just probably doesn't make sense for us to engage. Well, they may say, well, no, I I do want to hear more because I feel like we could get better here, here, and here. Great. Carry on the conversation. Or they're going to say, you know what? Thanks for not wasting my time. My, My favorite thing to do is, you know, when you go into a prospect, you're learning about the prospect, you close the meeting, and they're like, don't you want to see a copy of our current policies? We're going to talk about the insurance, you know? So taking them out all the way outside, and doing talking about everything about them and and the process, you forget about the actual insurance policies that that pay our bills, right? You know, so when they say or the when they're the ones that say, "Hey, don't you want to see? Don't you want our deck pages?" Well, yeah, sure, send them over if you don't mind. When you have time, send it, send it all over. You know, mission accomplished. We got them to offer it instead of us asking for it. Yeah, and a lot of times I'll just tell people, look, if you if you feel comfortable sending that to me, feel free. You know, my rule of thumb is I don't typically copy off of other people's homework. I have the, all the ability and the letters behind my name to prove I understand how to structure your insurance program. The reason we would typically ask you for deck pages or things like that is just to get a general understanding of the exposures that you have based on how things are currently written. But I don't even really put much stock into it. So if you want to send it, great. Otherwise, don't. Just know that if you don't send them to me, there's probably going to be an email or a couple emails with a bunch of questions that you're going to have to answer that you can save yourself that time if you shoot them over now Perfect. want to black out the premium black out the premium whatever man i love when they do that you still got to hold it up to the light and you can still you can still see it nine times out of ten yeah nine times out of ten all i gotta do is put it in my scanner and the the backlight on the scanner makes it to where you can read it when it's when it's on the computer my favorite thing to do is when they when they send me the deck pages and stuff with premiums blacked out is i will do a a premium versus uh, loss summary and i'll also do a comparison using the blacked out numbers because i can see them and i never mention it i just send it to them with their existing numbers and i always wish that i had a hidden camera that would show me kind of what that reaction looks like after the fact when they yeah, when we, they open it up, we had one recently. It. it was a bar. They didn't want to give us their current deck. I said no problem, but I knew who they were with, so I was able to go do a comparative quote in the same exact insurance carrier to know exactly what they're paying, and then I was able to go back and tell them what you know, confirm what they're paying with them. They're like, "How did you know?" I'm like, "It's you know, the the data is public. There's nothing. There's no secrets, and we're not all about keeping secrets. We're going to keep it all open and honest." Yep. 
so talk about producers, man. How many do you have in the agency at this point? What's the mix look like for inside versus outside? Are they specializing in anything? Yeah, man, you're still talking to number one. Unfortunately, I got uh, you know Majid, who's who participates in some com- killing commercial stuff. He's out. He's out in the street prospecting, knocking on doors, doing marketing drops. Um, my internal team, I've got four people on staff that are 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 capable and qualified to sell on the inbound. Um, so we we've got it. We've got a decent mix. You know, I'd like to pick up on the outbound stuff and and also work on on the inbound. And I'm I'm working on a few different things. I mentioned I'm I'm interviewing right now to bring in you know, that, that next person to, to help some things and also working with my marketing agency to, to change our, to work on my personal brand a little bit more, right? How do I become the subject matter expert? How do I make it to be in the industries that we want to focus in that I have to be the guy that they have to work with, right? So we're, we're working on some ideas to, to, to enhance our inbound capabilities plus our, plus our networks. Plus, you know, working on the marketing drops, we just, we have a cool marketing piece. We, I had custom soap made, right? So I had bars That's of soap, cool. full size bars. I should go get one. And, uh, people, you know, I don't we, even we know where it, he's going with this right now, but you probably should get your pen and paper out and start taking notes. Cause I have a feeling this is going to end up in a really good spot. My apologies <laughs> for interrupting. Yeah, no. So we, we're, we're dropping off soap and it says on there, it says, do you want to clean up your insurance program? I mean, as stupid as it is. You know, it it's a conversation starter. And you know what? It's something that people are going to remember. I'm all about the marketing. I have so much fun being in the creative space. I don't know if you've seen my my personalized vodka label that I've created. Um, you know, we did a we did a whole vodka run. I had 10 cases of vodka that we did for a referral event. Um, you know, and it says LG Vodka, Luxury Group Vodka by Aaron Levine, right? So it's got my signature on it. You know, and we gave out vodka. Who the hell gives out personal branded vodka, right? I don't care about pens or or coffee mugs, right? We got those. We got those too. But um, you know, how do we how do we differentiate ourselves? And I know you did a podcast on marketing drops and leave behinds. I think somebody was it you that you had the squishy brick once upon a time, or somebody had a no, squishy no, brick. no, no. I was actually. It's funny. I was just thinking about that guy when you were talking about the soap. It was the dude that's the copy machine salesman, and he oh, had like right. the foam brick that said, "Next time your machine acts up, throw this at it." But it was also his business card that had his name and his phone number yeah. and stuff on there. I actually, we had the guy who does the wine for us on the podcast, Charles Vasali from Time for Wine. Awesome. We've done private label wine. We we do a. Um, a red and a white that we put in a gift box every year at holiday time. And that's what we give as an appreciation gift to our clients. And that's been pretty cool. Very positive feedback. It is not our own vintage by any stretch. It's nice wine that they put a very nice label on the outside of that they brand it for us. But, sure. you know, I, I don't know too many people that are going to bitch about getting a bottle of Camus that says Florida Risk Partners on the outside of it. It still tastes the same. <laughs> Still tastes the same, you know. It's all it's all about what what can you put on the shelf that's not going to get thrown away. I'm looking at a I have a wine carafe. I had etched wine carafes made once upon a time. We did a wine tasting event for some referral partners. We had a wine expert from AIG come in, and we had realtors and financial advisors and people that deal in the high net worth space, you know, as our guests. So everybody got wine glasses and a wine carafe from us as their as their gift for attending plus education from one of the top wine authorities in the entire country, you know, during a wine tasting. I think we spent like $4,000 on wine, you know, to do a tasting for for 25 people, you know. So keeping ourselves relevant and interesting is has always been on the the top of my mind. So let me ask you this question, man. You're a sharp dude. When you're looking at putting soap together and you're going to make this part of your marketing process and you know, there's Look, I could spend a lot of money on the creative end of my business, like an unlimited amount, honestly. How do you look at that and decide this is a good investment for us to to use, number one? And number two, once you got Majid out there slinging soap, and I want to talk about him in another in another minute, but when you have him out there or, or you're out and you're using the, using the soap to gain people's attention, how are you measuring ROI on that? 
You know, we're we're a ready aim fire kind of uh, operation over here. We're you know the the soap's not expensive. You know, the two dollars and fifty cents that it cost me for for a nice bar of soap. You know, so we're we're using our CRM to to track when things are getting dropped off and where our follow ups are going next, and 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 to make sure it's worthwhile to to continue the pursuit. But at the same time, you know. We like to we like the branding aspect of it, right? How do we continue to get our name out there? Um, so the billboard aspect of it is is important to us. So you know, I have trouble measuring the ROI on a lot of the on, on some of the marketing stuff, the branding related activities. Um, you know, but it's you know it, it it does it all it all comes back, right? Keeping your name in the public eye, especially when we're dealing local in our communities. You know it. It all funnels back to to us when people share on social media, um, you know, when it goes back to somebody else through chambers of commerce, through different networking groups. You know, we, we always see it coming back, but I'm not I'm not measuring a dollar for dollar ROI uh, on that. We're just trying to keep track of where things are going and, you know, keep keep the pipeline full. You actually just answered the question exactly the way I wanted you to and was hoping you would. The point that I'm making is this. There's a big difference between focused marketing efforts and brand awareness campaigns, right? Like it is really, really tough. If you're putting brand awareness stuff out there, soap, whatever. Like one of the things that we we do is get um, private label water bottles that we put in coolers full of ice and then have my kids walk around the 4th of July Christmas parade or 4th of July Christmas, 4th of July parade, handing out bottles of water to everybody who's there for the parade and thirsty. That's got Florida risk partners, contact information. That's it. My kids are not talking to people about their total cost of risk when they ask them if they're thirsty and would like a glass of water. I have no idea if those people ever are going to come by from me because we gave them water when they were thirsty, Right. Sounds like it would work, but it. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as if it's just one more place they see my name, it, it puts them one step closer to buying from me or talking about a friend saying, hey, have you ever heard of this company? It was pretty cool. This guy had his kids out handing out bottles of water at the 4th of July parade. What do they even do? Because it doesn't say, right? Just Florida right. Risk Partners, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's where we get caught up a lot as agents, agency principals. When we look at how we're going to spend our marketing, we don't take the time to segment it out to focused market, you know, cost per acquisition, cost per click. Our, if, we, if we're smart enough to outsource that to somebody who does it, which we are at our agency, let them handle that piece of it. But as far as the brand awareness stuff, the the just getting impressions, if you will, whether it be digital or whether it be you know in person, I don't know how you track the return on that. It, it, there really isn't. To me, it's the billboard on the side of the road from 50 years ago where that used to drive business. Now you have to be a lot more creative than just, having a billboard on the side of the road, which by the way, that always is intrigued me as well. Like how did people actually, did they pull over to the side of the road and get a pen and a paper and write the number of that person down? Did they memorize their name? Like, I don't even know when we didn't have cell phones, why billboards on the interstate were even a thing. They weren't, it was brand awareness people. That's the point. You put it up there, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people drive by it. They see it at some point it attaches to their subconscious. We got started late. I want to be respectful of your time. Before I let you go, I want to talk about Majid a little bit, though, because my man is a bit of a hustler. He's all over the place, from what I can see, constantly in different businesses, but he did not come from the insurance industry. And the couple of times he and I have talked, and when you and I had spoken about him originally, I told you I thought that he was going to be a really good producer over the long haul. Talk a little bit about that, because my man was out like selling cable TV, was he not? He was door knocking, selling cable TV door to door. He was a one call close, knock on the door, and hope to walk away with with the sale. So getting him off that one call close, I was going to say that had to have been tough. Dick is is tricky. You know, he's there's a there's a lot to learn coming into into this business, especially to sell into the middle market. But you know, he loves being out knocking on doors, um, and and creating new contacts, building relationships. And my goal is to get him to not talk about the insurance because he wants to talk about the insurance, but he can't talk about it as well as as I can. So my goal for him has always been to just, you know, say hello, be the catalyst that that gets the conversation started. 
and then we can start checking off boxes and 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 going from there. So he's knocking on doors, he's hustling, he's building relationships, and he's he's using the phone and 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 making some great opportunities. We just closed a nice big case uh, last week that he brought to the forefront. I think it took him about a year. Uh, you know, it was a ten fifteen thousand dollar revenue account that we just that we were just able to to close, take it away from one of the large payroll providers on the workers comp. And really move it in house to help with, you know, both the 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 loss, the loss work, the claims work, and provided them a better policy and a better contract with a different insurance company than they were with. We wound up putting twenty five percent credit on this policy where he was being debited by that large payroll company by four percent. So mm. <laughs> the savings was tremendous, plus the additional benefits that we're bringing to the table. You know, we signed a bor on the rest of the account as well, just on that workers comp conversation. So. You know, he was just out building that rapport and eventually got the call, right? So branding, it's all branding, getting out there and building the rapport and the networks without being too pushy um, or, or being annoying, right? That's I think that's important for me. That's how I built the business is by within community and building rapport and networking and just continuing to be on the forefront and being a, an available resource. And then people ask me to buy from me has always been the way we we are yeah i think the biggest thing like if i'm if i'm giving any agent out there advice you know the reason that it's probably been a little bit difficult not difficult but the reason it takes time for a guy like majid that came in doing what he was doing to to turn around and sell white glove high touch very personal brand you're no longer selling that commoditized product, right? You know, once once you figure out that your product is your agency, it's your people, it's the value that you bring, and you focus the conversation around finding out what problems that prospect has that you already have the answer to. You don't need to go in and tell everybody every ounce of technology you have, all of this stuff. You formulate your questions around what you have you presuppose that this is what's going on because this is what we're seeing in the industry. You can even set the table up correctly. Hey, I understand there's a lot going on with uh, manufacturing right now that it's difficult for you to find jobs for people to come in because for crying out loud, people are flipping burgers, making almost 20 bucks an hour at this point. That's what you used to pay a machinist, man. I mean, it, it's crazy to see. And you you go in, you establish uh, credibility, and, and you start building rapport with them to show you have some general understanding of what they do. But then all you're doing is you're asking questions instead of me saying, "Hey, we have the ability to give you an online handbook for HR." You could say, "Talk to me about the process you went through when you built your HR handbook, your employee handbook for your company." Several things could happen from that. They may not have one, and you're going to find that out. They may have paid a lot of money to an attorney to build it. Guess what? That should set up a red flag that says they paid a lot of money. Chances are they didn't want to pay a lot of money to have it updated. It's probably stale. And you can go right down that road. Either way, we're going to get the same information. I'm just going to get the order, and you're not because you're worried about telling people and vomiting everything you're able to do for them instead of just letting them tell you what their problems are by asking questions. It's the same information, people. It's all about the delivery. Look, we're both married men, right? We both have kids. We understand how those kids were, were made, right? So we know what that process is. We know what you have to do to romance your wife. Now, I could take my wife you know, and run her through Wendy's and get a couple of junior bacon cheeseburgers, a medium frosty and a fry and hope for the best. Or I could take her to ocean prime and buy her a nice filet lobster, get a dessert, maybe some fine wine, whatever. I like my chances a lot better at the end of the night. Either way, I knew what the end game was, but it's the process that you go through to get there that determines how successful you're going to be. Maybe that wasn't the best analogy, but I think everybody can kind of relate to that, especially the ladies out there, because they want Ruth's Chris. They want Capitol Grill. They want Ocean Prime. Nobody wants to go. Look, by the way, the Junior Bacon Cheeseburger is, does very much withstand the test of time. <laughs> the, the, the dollar menu at Wendy's Junior Bacon Cheeseburger is the gold standard. However... 
when we're dealing with our prospects, we don't want to run them through the Wendy's drive-thru. We want to take them to a right. nice place where we can feed them a good dinner that requires reservations and everything else. And I think that that's where we get caught up. We're so worried that we want – the other thing is, again, you know, and, and I'm not picking on Majid here, but when you take people, anybody that's used to that one call close, I just got to go in and sell something today to validate my existence – it's really tough to get them to back off because they've got to have something. So you have to probably look and see, okay, what's considered a win? What is really, what's really what I'm expecting out of this marketing drop? And if I can tell Majid, if you just get this, you've already won and here's why, you're better off instead of, this guy's somebody who's used to having to get so many orders a day, right? That's what the, what the expectation was. And he just found out in the middle market, you don't always get an order every day. Sometimes it takes 12 months. When it, a win is getting that next conversation, right? That's that a win is continuing the conversation, getting getting that next meeting, whether it's in person um, or or it's via Zoom with with me on the phone. Uh, that that's to me that's a win, right? Next step in the process, next step in building that rapport, to me is is a win, and that eventually leads to revenue. So I'm going to close out with a story that I just remembered. Because you talked about your white la- your your uh, private labeled vodka that you had created for for people, when we did the ribbon cutting at this uh, this location that my office is in, we had all of the usual you know the chamber of commerce suspects were out. Like I think that there are people that like it's just their job to go to different chamber events. That's all they do. I don't I don't even know if they have a viable company, but they will be at every single chamber event. And I, I did everything myself. We didn't, I, you know, I didn't have a ton of money at the time. I catered the entire thing myself. I did all of the cooking. I started like two days ahead of time and went to restaurant depot and got a flatbed full of everything I needed. And people, people liked it. But one of the things that I did was I cre- I had drinks and I created a drink that we called risky business and I marinated pineapple. I did pineapple infused vodka and blueberry-infused vodka. And I'm going to give everybody, if you want risky business, this is how you do it. You put pineapple vodka, You put pineapple into a mason, a one-quart mason jar, fill it up with vodka, seal it. Blueberries, one-quart mason jar, fill it up with vodka, seal it, and then get you a quart of simple syrup. That's it. One part pineapple, one part blueberry, one part simple syrup. And I can promise you those chamber ladies are going to party like they've never partied before because we had to get DDs for people <laughs> that were that were in our office not wanting to leave that night. So it goes down so smooth, but it I is hope we're bringing a fit- some of this to Key West. I want some of I can, that. I can, I can make that happen, man. I can make that happen. Well, listen, I know you got a lot going on, brother. I really appreciate having you on. I've been wanting to have you on for a while now, and for whatever reason, it keeps slipping my mind. But definitely look forward to uh, seeing you here in a couple of weeks, man. It's going to be a great time down in the Keys. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right, brother. Have a good one. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 